we go to work and when we're It's gold. <laughs> On that note, hello, hello, hello. Hello. Welcome to Mining, Mining with, with nurses. nurses. I'm Kat. And I'm Sarah. That's all we got. Yep. Kat Bye. And Sarah. <laughs> this is our nursing whining podcast. We talk about nursing. We talk about wine. We drink some wine. That's it. That's all. That's all we do. Carter, can you take that bone away from her, please? Just gonna keep dropping it. Take the bone away from the. Sorry, lady. my dog's having way too much fun, and she's not even drinking wine. So jealous. I don't know. Either that or have carpeted floors, but that's shitty. <laughs> have you ever lived in carpeted floors? Uh huh. Like pretty much my whole uh, childhood growing up. Oh, did oh. you like it? N- no. 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 What didn't you like about it? Uh, because my little brothers, when they got to be a certain age, just started peeing. Like they would just take oh, no. their little penises out and pee yeah. and, it, and it wouldn't be that horrible if it was hardwood floors or, you know, tile or something, but um, it was carpet. So mm. they would just let it, what, yeah. why is that a thing? Somebody that we work with who has a son said her son just started doing that. And I was just, really? why, why? I wonder if they would do it on hardwood floors, but because then it would make a big, pot, you know? A splashback maybe. How old is your friend's kid? Mm, little, uh, uh, three or something. Oh, okay. My huh. brothers were a little bit older. They were old enough to know that it was wrong, but mm. also old enough to know that it was hilarious. <laughs> They're like, this is super convenient yes. and everyone's reaction <laughs> is super fun. Yeah. So that plus just, I don't know, Gross. but carpet's soft. That was nice that, about it. Yeah. Getting out of bed in the morning, you're like, oh, my feet are cozy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's all right. I grew up with this. Wood floors. Almost just exactly like this, actually. Hmm. I think our house is probably the same, uh, the same age. Somebody told me once that these were subfloors. I don't know what that means. That just means the floor that goes below your actual floor. And oh. I was like, I don't care. It looks really good. You know, I've heard that. <laughs> I don't know if these are because they really just look like my parents' house, and it's not a subfloor. I have seen subfloors though. I didn't know that was what they were called. But there is a lot more like black nail marks everywhere, mm. really small ones, mm-hmm. um, where you could see where like carpet was ripped off of it. Oh, okay. And it was like a dark, they tried to stain it to hide it. I have seen that. Of course, mm. I don't know. I'm not a floor expert. So neither are you. So this is our home interior decorating podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we got to get all cozy for like cozy Christmas season. Yeah. Yay. What did you do to make your house cozy? Did you light some candles? You should. You should. Or, or something. Rip out your carpet because your kid's probably peed on it. <laughs> Do you then just get like dog pee cleaner, you know, and carpet cleaner for the dog? I All I know is we went through about a million cans of spot shot. I think we probably should have <laughs> just bought stock and spot shot. Mm. And by the way, that stuff works really, really well. Still, to this day, if you spill red wine on something, if you mm. spill anything, spot shot is the bomb. Hashtag ad. Yeah. Please, no. Spots are a spot shot because <laughs> I've never nurses even, love spot shot. <laughs> never even heard of that. Did you get some weird drainage drippage on your carpet? <laughs> spot shot that shit. Do you like to drink <laughs> wine and get too shit-faced? Spot shot that shit. <laughs> That's exactly what their commercial should be. Hashtag spot shot that shit. <laughs> Carter, can you let Zai out? I think she has to pee. Sorry, everybody. Uh, this is real life, folks. So um, how are you, Sarah? Life. How's life? I haven't seen you in a week. It's weird. I'm used to like knowing what you've been doing and now i actually legit asking. I know. Um, life has been a little weird because I did three night shifts last week as mm-hmm. part of my the final orientation week. Mm-hmm. And I haven't worked night shift in a couple of probably four or five years. So it was weird. Mm-hmm. Um the first night, I was okay, and then I came home and I had to go to sleep, and then you know smoke from the other ca- the fires in somewhere else in Northern California yeah. blew over here. It's in Paradise, basically like Butte mm-hmm. County, right? They blew over here to Sonoma County. It woke me up in the middle of the day, and I was like, "Huh? What's the happening? fires woke you up? The the smoke did. Oh, really? Yeah, the smell of the smoke because it smelled like um, 
you know, not just a campfire. It's more right. like a, something plastic or something. Mm. Uh, were all your windows open or something? It got in your house or just- No, the windows weren't even open. It just, I yeah. don't know, somehow it seeped in. I don't know. I also have a really sensitive nose. So that woke me up. And then also I was thinking a lot about the cat, Saba. Oh, can I tell you about oh. that? What's happened? Oh, yeah. So- <clears throat> She, um, you know, as I said, was pretty skinny and she had a little bit of a limp. And then one day I was um, working one of my night shifts. I was sleeping during the day and Ryan's boss, who happens to work right outside of our house because we live in a park now, um, <laughs> he saw the cat and thought she looked pretty lethargic and not so good. So he called animal control to come pick her up, which was a good idea. Um, and they took her into the Humane Society and... Um, the town that we live in. Mm -hmm. And um, anyway, that's all I knew basically was that that happened. And if she was okay for adoption, then they would release her for adoption. So uh, two days ago, I called, I actually called the Humane Society in Santa Rosa because I thought that's where she was for some reason. Mm -hmm. And they said, no, she's in the one in Healdsburg, which is where we live. And um, so anyway, I went there and I got to see her and she looks the same, except she's put on a little bit of weight, which is Aww. good. So they've basically just been keeping her and feeding her. She's not microchipped. So if she belonged to someone, which is most likely because she's super friendly, then we don't know who it is. So, right. um, and they have to keep them for five days, um, some waiting period to allow people to come claim their cat if their cat's lost. Mm -hmm. And then after that, they just do whatever they normally would do to put a cat up for adoption. So yeah. today the cat was getting transported to the Santa Rosa, Santa Rosa shelter for a full medical eval. And once she's been evaluated and treated, and if they think she's okay for adoption, then they'll put her up for adoption and mm. we'll adopt her Aww. officially. I really, when you started that story thought you were going to say like, oh, she like died. And like, and I was like, oh no, this is going to be sad. That's how I thought it was going to end too. When I came back, when I woke up from work, uh, sleep that one day and Ryan's boss told me she got picked up. I was like, oh my God, they're going to put her to sleep because mm. she's old and nobody's going to want to adopt her. And she's probably got some injury or illness and they're just going to put her to sleep. Mm -hmm. And I think that was my initial reason why I didn't want to take her to the shelter myself to begin with. Yeah. Which now looking Ugh. back, I feel so horrible that I didn't just do it right away because what if she was someone's cat that was microchipped, you know? And uh, Yeah, but you don't know. I mean, you live in a park. There's this kind of shabby looking cat. You're trying to feed it and help it and gauge what is going on. And it's now fine. It ended up good. But at the same time, I was thinking, what if that were Maki or Nori and somehow they got really far away from our house and they were really skinny and somebody mm. just decided, I'm just going to feed them and keep them. That's true. Yeah, and now that sounds bad. Now yeah, like, it does. Oh. I woke up in the middle of my like, sleep oh. like, <gasps> what have I done? I probably Aww. led to her death and somebody is probably missing her. Anyway, it turns Aww. out nobody's missing her. Yeah. She's fine, as far thank as you God. Know. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> well- that's nice. So you have three cats. I know. How do you know that it's going to get along with? I don't, but oh. we're going to try really hard to integrate them. What's the gender? Did you find out? A female. A female. Okay. Yeah. So three girls. Three lady black cats. Oh. What if you get like four and five and then you can I be the cat I wouldn't complain lady. about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love cats. <laughs> I love cats. Just every kind of cat. And I want to put them in a basket with bow ties. <laughs> Okay, so no, just kidding. That's There's a really you... funny YouTube video with this girl who loves cats. Anyway, oh, okay. that's what I was doing. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I just thought it was you genuinely, which is really cute. That's why you like me, because cat. <laughs> I just want to put you in a basket with bow ties. <laughs> I just want to love every kind of cat. Oh, I'm okay with that. <laughs> so what are we drinking? Oh, um, so this is called Cannonball. It's a Cabernet Sauvignon, 2016 from California. And Carter's mother gave this to us when she came and saw our new house for the first Thank time. Thank you, Carter's mother. Thank you. Well, I, I actually bought this bottle. Thank you, Kat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a uh, delicious and it says um, perfect symbol of, okay, well, Cannonball, it's perfect symbol of freedom. I, didn't, I haven't read the back yet. It is. It says, legs tucked beneath you, soaring through the air. The uninhibited spirit is the soul of Cannonball Wines. Yeah. We express 
this in our big bold cab sauve. It explodes with black cherry, wild berry fruit, and notes of chocolate and oak. The rich, rich texture um, of this wine lingers with a bright, fresh finish. Share a splash. Mm. Isn't that nice? You know what it tastes like immediately to me? Cotton candy. I've been tasting that what? on a lot of wines lately. I want to taste cotton candy. Taste the aftertaste. It's cotton candy. Yeah, do that. Yeah, it's good. It's a little expensive. It's a $20 bottle. So I ever- would say that's not too expensive. Well, like, it's a little expensive for what I normally buy for okay. the podcast. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> for, like, the podcast... I'm not saying for like a nice bottle of wine, that's expensive. Do you buy $20 bottles every time? I don't know. I don't. Not every time. I buy like $10 bottles. Frequently. Sorry. <laughs> that's okay. okay. Well, it's just because my... I'm picky and okay. I want to drink what I think I'm going to like. Oh. Well, yeah. all right. I'm obviously, everyone knows I'm not the wine expert. But I thought this was good. I like it. Do you like it? Yeah, I really like it. This is super tasty. Mm. And I like the smell. Now that you said cotton candy, I just smelled it and smelled that. But I'm very suggestive. Yeah, it's really good. It, it's kind of, uh, it's kind of like chocolate covered cherry. Mm-hmm. I like the color too. It's just pretty, really deep, nice red. Maybe we should paint a kitchen wall this color. I don't know. Oh yeah, we're Wine. trying. We're trying to figure it out. We're trying to figure it out. Anyway. This is a Maya Merlot room. <laughs> well, try to get something to go with the brick. Make an accent wall. You know. Yeah. I think we're going to paint this like a terracotta kind oh, of nice. color. I don't know. We'll see. You'll probably hate it. Like It was so perfect the way before. No. What? I didn't pick any of this. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I know. I'm just so <laughs> weird. Like, it was. Yeah. I don't care. I think it's cute. Carter thought I you love, painted. I just love this house. Love it. No. And I was like, no, she didn't paint that. No. She said they only painted a certain round. He's like, oh. That's yeah. Fun. We definitely didn't paint these colors. Like, they're fine colors, yeah. but just the weird intersection of the colors mm-hmm. it's a little weird um but whatever we liked it it's all good yeah. it's cozy we're still super happy you know except like I like to go to the bathroom with the door open mm-hmm. a lot and the door in this house from the bathroom to the front door is a one-shot deal so yeah be careful about that <laughs> if you ever have your door open or the window people can just see you taking a pee or poo yeah. right in the bathroom but i'm fine with that everyone pees and poos that did happen to ryan one time yeah i mean it's not a big deal he was taking a poo he had the door open and our next door neighbor needed to tell him something and she came by and oh. then he got up and shut the door in a hurry and she was like oh my god it was so embarrassing oh that's so funny that's probably gonna happen because <laughs> <laughs> I don't really care <laughs> maybe if taking a poo taking a pee it's not like they would know the difference but I know the difference you know what kind of sitting is she doing right now <laughs> actually I use my squatty potty when I'm taking a poo have you used the squatty potty pooing no but I really I kind of want to get one I'm just so intrigued you Does should take work? a poo here sometime and use the squatty I'm going to do it right now. <laughs> okay, maybe wait till after recording. <laughs> or you could record your poo. That would be... Would so it- what is it supposed to do? <laughs> like set your bowels up so right? It, or what, what is I it? I think do? your anal sphincter is like slightly pulled back when we're sitting like this because you're not meant to be pooing. You're meant to be squatting when you're pooing. And I like to say pooing. So okay. when you're just sitting in a chair position, it's not... It's yeah. kind of... I guess there's like obstructed. something that's whole, kinking it. Mm-hmm. And then when you squat, that tendon or whatever gets like stops being Released. so tight. So then your sphincter, your your pathway is straight and all the poop can come out easier. Ah. Less hemorrhoids. Yeah. Yeah. Less hemorrhoids, like she said. <laughs> I don't know if it really works, but I just he like using it. from experience. Know. Yeah. <laughs> well, I am like a constipated person in general. Same. And uh, I don't know if it's particularly helped me or not, but I just use it anyway because I really like it. It's like comfortable. It's more comfortable. Mm-hmm. I guess. I think that um, I've heard that those work. And also one of my sisters told me that if she's ever a little bit constipated or mm-hmm. is just trying to like uh, prompt things along. She drinks pickle juice? No, she'll, no, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> she'll just put her feet up against the wall if the toilet's close enough to the... Huh. Uh, opposite wall. She'll just put her feet on the wall. How tiny are her bathrooms? I don't know. <laughs> or she's really tall. Some of the places in Virginia are old and they're small. Yeah, yeah. You know? 
That's a good idea, though. It's like naturally without thinking you do it. Or you see kids, like when they're first learning to poo, they go behind a, a couch and they squat and then they do? freeze. Yeah. <laughs> and you can, you know, they're taking a poo. You nasty little children. Or they go Ew. behind like a curtain and they'll do that, you know, and they are like squat down and looks like they're doing something and then they stop for a second and kind of freeze <laughs> and they're taking a poo. But they naturally take a squat. Ew. Or they just keep walking and you're like, what? Why did you stop moving? Or pooping. I just need to just hold it right here. <laughs> anyway. So use, I worked what? three night shifts this week. Uh-huh. Back to nursing. Yeah. yeah. You want to hear about it? Mm-hmm. Uh, it was not as much of a struggle, actually, as I thought it would be to stay awake. Um, and it was cool. The night shift's cool, except people want to go to sleep sometimes. So you have to hurry up and do all this stuff before mm, they go to sleep. And yeah. pharmacy has their meds scheduled late into the night sometimes. And even nine o'clock feels really late to people in the hospital because it gets dark mm-hmm. and there's absolutely nothing going on. So around seven, eight o'clock, sometimes people want to go to bed. Right. And you're like, really? It's eight o'clock. I would. There's nothing else to do. There's nothing else to do. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't have your meds yet and I have to wake you up in an hour. <laughs> so that sucks. Anyway. Well, also, you have to do their blood pressure sometimes every couple hours. Yeah, we have to, to do it every four hours in our unit at least. Uh, sometimes more frequently if they've just come back from procedure or if they're getting a certain type of drip. So anyway, some of that took some getting used to. And also there's not as many doctors on call at night. You Mm -hmm. have to figure out who's available, who you can wake up and who you can't for what, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, what's, you know, you have to only call certain people in emergency situations. Other people happen to be there all night, all awake. Mm -hmm. Some of the hospitalists, they have to be there for the whole shift awake. So you can just text them anytime and they're fine. So give us an example of why you would call a doctor to wake them up or whatever. So, um, a cardiologist, for example, if somebody was, uh, going into AFib and they've been in sinus rhythm. Mm-hmm. If you have an order already for an amiodarone drip, for example, to implement if they go back into AFib, you wouldn't need to call them for that. You would just go ahead and do it and then tell them in the morning when they come on. Right. But let's say they go into AFib with RVR, that's rapid ventricular response, so really fast heart rate, and you put them back on the amiodarone drip and it doesn't take care of it and their heart rate's still going really fast, mm-hmm. you definitely need to call them because you've mm-hmm. got to do something else, you know? Right. Um, I don't know if that's the greatest example because amiodarone usually takes care of it. But in that situation, if that happened, you yeah. need to call them. Man, how fast does amio work in an IV? Because we only, like I only give it, I mean, you know, patients take it outpatient. So mm-hmm. is it really? It works pretty quickly. I mean, sometimes it can work within the hour or within a couple of hours. You know, it's like slows the heart rate mm-hmm. um, pretty soon after you start giving it. And then... You know, sometimes patients convert to normal sinus rhythm mm-hmm. from atrial fibrillation. Um, just to clarify for people who don't know what we're talking about. You should know what AFib is, though, because just go back to episode two. What if um, people started later because you've gotten better? <laughs> atrial fib is like the two top chambers are like not pumping completely correctly and it's going a little too fast. So that's what we're talking way about. Way too fast. Yeah. And, and then, then it can go very fast. Yeah. And then you can mm-hmm. give amiodarone, which is an antiarrhythmic. Mm-hmm. That's what we're talking about. So, I mean, it can work pretty fast. Sometimes it doesn't work enough. Right. Um, so it just really depends on the mm-hmm. patient. Also, people get crazy overnight. Um, <laughs> they just get crazy, especially if they've been in the hospital for a long time. So there was this woman who has been in the hospital for probably, I don't know, two and a half, three weeks now. And she's totally with it. She's not, she doesn't have any dementia. Mm-hmm. She doesn't have any psych history. She's just a normal functioning person. Mm-hmm. And the uh, the last two nights that I was her nurse, she just got really confused. She The one night she said something to me about, okay, well, when you come back, can you bring the little baby in? And I said, what little baby? You know, huh. the little baby you had earlier, just leave it in the room. What? And I said, nope, not me. That, that wasn't me with the baby. And yeah. she's just kind of looked at me like... <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Don't give me that, you know? And so then I started asking her questions and then she eventually realized she's not making sense. So she realized that she was wrong, but she still couldn't get over it. She still was asking me for the baby. And then she would say, do you ever get in that situation where you just don't know where you are or how you got there? 
And, but she knew exactly, she, I asked her all the questions. She knew she was in the hospital and what for and how old she was and where, what day it was. And, huh. But then she just still kept getting stuck on the baby. And then during the daytime, she was totally fine. And then the next night, she started asking about another daughter of hers. And I said, well, how old is your daughter? And she said, seven. And this woman's 70, so that's clearly not right. Right. So anyway, that what was What ended up weird. happening? Nothing. Every morning she would be fine. And I would report to the day shift mm-hmm. so they could tell the docs when they came on. And I don't know if anything happened after that because I only Is had her like, for two nights and then I went home. What's that syndrome where the elderly at night, I mean, I know there's- Sundowners. Right. But that's more like a depression thing, right? I think sundowners is just that people that have dementia, their symptoms become worse when the sun goes down. Mm. Okay. Um, so maybe she has some sort of, I think she just had hospital delirium, which happens to people. If you're in the hospital for long enough, one, you're in this weird environment and traumatic things are happening to you mm-hmm. pretty much every day. Two, you don't get a, you don't get enough sleep. Yeah. And man, one day no sleep for me, I get cray cray. So two weeks of it. And it's like the twilight zone because there's always bright lights on. Mm-hmm. I know they dim them, but, and it really, when you work a shift, especially, you have no idea what time it is. Even though the lights are, it's just, people are always working, you're always going. So it's this really weird like a twilight zone. Mm-hmm. So imagine being in there for weeks. Also, you're being woken up every four hours. You're having tests. You're at doing least. this. Yeah, at least. Yeah, right. And your neighbor might be screaming all night right. or, you know, ha- having bowel movements and they're not even making any noise, but the nurses have to come in and turn on the lights and do all this stuff, right. you know? Um, so, Ugh. oh, it just seems like a nightmare. <sighs> but you're liking it. Oh, I love it. But Good. as a patient, oh man. Right, right. But the, you're liking it. I mean, like you're enjoying mm-hmm. work and- I am. I really am. And the night shifts there are pretty good because I feel like we still get a lot accomplished on the night shifts there. Because mm-hmm. um, some places it feels like almost nothing happens on night shift and you can't do anything. Your hands are tied. But here, the doctors write the orders in such a way that you have a lot of leeway. You just have an order set. And if mm-hmm. this happens, this. And if that happens, that. Mm-hmm. Which is great because- mm-hmm you know, it's good for everyone. The nurses get to use their critical thinking and take care of the patient in the best way and the doctors don't have to get woken up. And mm-hmm. You um, mean like meds, PRN, mm-hmm. and you decide when it's necessary. Yeah. Yeah. At PRN is as needed. Mm-hmm. Huh. That sounds good. Yeah. I'm glad you're liking it. I like it a lot. Do you like night, like, do you want to, will you cover night or day shift? Or? Yeah, so for the rest of November, or well, at least for the next two weeks, I'm going to work day shift there mm-hmm. because I'm also going to be working day shift at NICMA per mm-hmm. diem. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the last week of November, I don't have anything scheduled at NICMA, so I picked up some night shifts mm-hmm. at the hospital. And then throughout December, I'm picking up night shifts because they just have more night shifts available. Mm-hmm. And... I don't mind them. I like no. the night shifts and I like the people on night shift and- You get paid more. You get paid more. It's less hectic. You get more time to think and research. And mm-hmm. for me right now, that's better because I'm still kind of getting back into the swing of things. Right. My mind's not working at the fast pace of a day, day shift nurse yet. Mm-hmm. So Are the night shift nurses nice? So They're far? really nice. Yeah. I mean, I haven't met anybody there that I didn't like. There was one nurse who oriented me who I felt like was- um, very regimented and uh, she kind of rubbed me the wrong way the first, I don't know, hour of the shift. And then once we got into it, it was fine. She just has, I I could tell she just has her certain way that she does things every night. And again, Mm -hmm. this was another situation of, I've had so many different preceptors. This was her first night working with me, so she had no idea what I knew, what I could do, what I couldn't. Right. So she was assuming that I know nothing because she needs to make sure that the patient gets the best patient care. So it was confusing for me because she was doing things and I thought I still had to do them, but then she'd already done them and, Mm, you know, vice versa. Right. So. Well, ultimately, yeah, she's in charge of making sure everything gets done if you're precepting. Yeah. So that'd be hard though to, I think that's when people struggle with teaching, when they want to make sure everything gets done because they're responsible, but they're not really giving the opportunity to the other person because, yeah, it might put you behind. Things mm-hmm. might not be done exactly how they should be because I could just do it real quick and do it the efficiently efficient way. But, you you know, people have to learn and it, it is going to take time and I don't know. Yeah. Anyway. Well, I'm so happy for you. Thanks. I'm so happy. That's I'm exciting. doing the stuff. You're doing the things. 
Being a nurse. I always feel like you're like a real nurse if you work in a hospital. No, everybody who is a nurse is a real nurse. I know. I like, I know that. It just, I just feel like you're like one of the cool, like legit hardcore nurses that can like do anything and save lives if you work in a hospital. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely would I picture what I like. I just walk around flexing my biceps all day. I'm a hardcore nurse. Yeah, you've like gained 20 pounds of muscle since I've seen you last. I know. It's weird. I'm beefed up. <laughs> well, my week was crazy. We had last, one of our nurses has been sick. So she was out like Thursday. And then last Friday, she was out. So Jessica, one of the nurses was there. I was out and I could have come in to help her. Like I was willing to, but I was watching my friend's kid mm-hmm. because they lost their daycare. Um for that specific day. So if I didn't watch her kids, she couldn't then go to her work. Mm. So it was like, I couldn't go in to help anyone, you know? So I was kind of like, just do the, emer- you know, the emergency stuff that needs to get done and whatever. So that was crazy. And then um, today I went in, she, the nurse, the other nurse was still sick, but she had stayed and worked. Um, but I started at eight o'clock and I left at 5.15 and I had no breaks and no lunch. So I basically worked the entire, and it wasn't really crazy. It was just steadily busy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I I thought it was going to be worse because I figured that it was going to be hectic catching up from Friday, but it, it was okay. It was just steadily busy and I had the whole, I was just busy all day. I really didn't even take a break. Um, so I'm tired. Not It wasn't a 12-hour shift, but it was a nine-hour shift. And I stood for half the time because mm-hmm. <laughs> I was at my desk. Yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, otherwise, it's been good. Same old, you know. Same old shiznut. We're get we're planning our door decorating every year at the office. We do Christmas door decorating contest. And last year the nursing department won. Yeah, we won last year. It was amazing. We should put up a picture of what we did because it, it was really great. cool. It, it had really Paula cool. in it. <laughs> Paula. <laughs> yeah, all of us. It had my dog. Um, <laughs> everything. It was it was impressive. We'll, we'll put up a picture. Uh, and this year we have some plans. I don't know if anyone at work listens, so I don't want to share because it's a contest. But Anai is basically like taking the reins. Like she's like come up with this whole idea mm-hmm. and is really excited. Cool. So we'll see. That's yeah. cool. I know. I'm excited. So I want to come visit. Do you should. I'm going to come Christmas caroling at your work. Oh, that'd be so fun. <laughs> you should do it. People are like, why did Sarah show up like on a, like a Tuesday, like singing around the office? It was weird. <laughs> Club coming up on a Tuesday. <laughs> Sarah coming up. <laughs> uh, so speaking of coming up, um, some people come up with phlegm. No, uh, that, I'm trying to segue and it didn't work. <laughs> so Sarah wanted Noise. to talk about... <laughs> Wanted to talk about chest tubes, right? Yeah. Why? Is it because you had a patient situation? I've had so many patients with chest tubes since I, and I. Oh, oh my God. This whole time you're saying chest tubes? Oh, mm-hmm. I'm an idiot. This entire time since I asked you, I've been thinking like. Um, a trach? Like a, like a vent. Like a person with like a vent. Oh. A ventilator on a ventilator. I don't oh. know why this whole time. And I was thinking, that is so weird that like she's having cardiac patients on ventilators. Like, I mean, <laughs> Wait, I'm not in the ICU. I know. <laughs> chest tube. No, okay. so many patients have had chest tubes since I got back on in the hospital. Mm-hmm. And okay, because this is a true cardiac unit, because I've worked on lots of telemetry units that are not, so telemetry is monitoring the electrical activity of your heart. And there are lots of telemetry units in other hospitals that are just basically someone with any medical surgical issue. So you're there for pneumonia, you're there for a surgery, you're Mm -hmm. there for something, and you also happen to have some kind of cardiac history or a reason that we need to monitor your heart. Right. That is not, to me, a true cardiac unit. That's just a med-surg tele-unit. Right. So this unit is a true cardiac unit. We have people who have cabbages, that's cardiac bypass graft surgery, cardiac arterial bypass graft, blah, 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 blah. So the, the real open heart surgeries, you have valve replacements, you have people with um, a maze procedure, that's where they, it's kind of like an external ablation. So they cut off 
the electrical activity from certain chambers of the heart mm-hmm. or from certain sections of the atrium mm-hmm. to each other so that you can't, you prevent the AFib from going through to the ve- uh, so ventricles. The two top chambers don't talk anymore. They don't, the, they don't talk to the, they don't talk to themselves, first of all, to depending on the maze or each other. Like they, a maze, I think it will cut something off at an angle, a right angle. So it just cuts off. Let's say that the AFib is originating from the top left hand corner of the left or the right atrium. Mm-hmm. So, they'll make a, a kind of a section, a square box mm. that cuts that section off from the whole rest of the heart. Mm. So then- If that's where the signal's originating Yeah, so from. then it can spaz out all at once up there. Right. It's not getting through to so anything else. You have a else. tiny little part of the going- Yeah, it's just like- But it's just this atrium, so it doesn't really matter. It can wear itself out. Look at a picture, folks, of what we're talking about. Two chambers in the top, two in the bottom. We're talking about the top that are spazzing out and how to stop it. And one thing you can do- man. Read a book. So- one thing you can do is like basically, uh, what am I thinking of? Isolate the signal. So that's what yeah. kind of like we're talking about. Isolating that crazy one that's causing your heart to beat all over the place. It's like there's a mad cow in the herd and you're just roping off that cow in one section so it can't get to any of the other cows. So the other cows can do their regular thing and that cow just spazzes out in its own corner. There you go. Yeah. I'm not sure why it was a cow, but that sounds very, yeah, the other ones either. are grazing nicely and this yeah. one's like, Rawr. It's like, Rawr. Maybe it's like a dog. I'm a bull. It's crazy, yeah. <laughs> okay, so. So maze procedure. So cool. lots of surgeries. So <laughs> And that's one of the reasons why a lot of people have chest tubes because after surgery, there's a potential for, and not just a potential, but a really strong likelihood that you're going to have fluid like blood and just other interstitial fluid that your body's using to heal itself accumulate in the cavity that was just cut into. Mm-hmm. So you need to drain that outside of the chest so that it doesn't, one, create a tamponade on the heart. That's where fluid builds up around the outside of the heart and puts pressure on it. So then it can't expand Mm -hmm. to let itself fill up with blood. So that's bad because you need to fill up with blood so you can pump it to the rest of your body. Mm -hmm. Um, Or depending on what space it is, um, fluid can fill up in the space between your lung and the chest wall, basically. That's the pleural space. And that's bad because then your lung can't expand totally Mm -hmm. and you can't get a full breath. So um, we have lots of patients with chest tubes and that's why. Mm -hmm. And I got back to the, you know, I got on this unit and I started seeing all these chest tubes and I was like, oh crap, do I remember how to take care of patients with chest tubes? Uh And there are wet and dry suction type chest tubes and some of them are always making a bubbling noise and some of them never are. And there's the water seal and air bubbles and what's normal, what's not normal. So that's what made me start to think about this. Those are confusing. The only one that I've really had experience with is just the the little bulb. The JP drains? Yeah. Oh, those are my favorites. They're easy. The the bubbly ones, and they're not bubbling, and they're supposed to be bubbling, or they're not supposed to be bubble. Those are so confusing. And I always remember being really intimidated, like, I'm not sure what that is supposed to be doing. Like, is that a normal I'm bubbling? I'm intimidated, yeah. Is that not a normal bubbling? I'm like, why are you bubbling? Is that good? Is there now oxygen escaping from somewhere? Like, what's happening? Or is that just the suction? I don't know. Yeah, that's yeah. confusing. And they have to measure all the blood and goopy stuff that comes out everywhere. That's what we do nurses do. We measure everything that goes inside and outside of your body. That's true. Comes outside. So I did a little review for myself of chest tubes today. Um, But I do want to talk about the JP drains, the Jackson Pratt drains now that you brought them up. So those are awesome because they're just basically a suction bulb that works because like you compress a balloon and then you... You squeeze it off, you shut off, shut it off. So as it tries to pull itself apart, it mm-hmm. sucks fluid out of your body. Yeah. I'm trying to think of like, there's something else that we have, every single person here has done involving something like that. And I can't think of what it is. Or you like squeeze something. You squeeze, then, you plug the hole and then it slowly inflates and it sucks something out. But like, yeah. like a bulb syringe you like squeeze and then it sucks out the boogers the baby nose or something I don't know okay yeah that's a good that's a good example yeah so you squeeze it and when you release all the air has been out so it slowly fills up but Mm -hmm. so it sucks whatever it's filling up inside of it Mm -hmm. that's kind of like the drain 
but this is like a slow motion version of that because right. you're really slow. You're really yeah. blocking off the air completely. So it's trying to expand constantly. And the only thing it can get to fill itself with is the fluid in your body. Right. Blood and body fluids. That's the easiest drain because mm-hmm. you just compress it and then you drain it, you, know, yeah. you know, empty it and you measure it. Oh, you want to hear a story about a JP drain I took care of one time? Mm-hmm. This is why it's really important to check your JP drains frequently because this guy um, had one that yep. I went to check around five in the morning when we do eyes and nose, mm-hmm. and his was totally full. And so I have to say what eyes and nose are. People. Oh, intakes and outputs. So I was going to check any drain, any Foley catheter. What see, you drink, what you pee, etc. Yeah. And um, so I go to take the little stopper off of this JP drain and it was so full it went and it just kind of burst out a little bit of the fluid that was in it and it got in my eyeball. Oh my God. Did you get like tetanus testing and all that? I had to go get blood testing and he had to get blood testing too. Thankfully we were both fine. I mean, he wouldn't have been at risk for anything. He had to get testing to see if he had anything, but like. Oh, and you can see all the stuff that comes out of there in those drains. Like you, (laughs) it's like bud and pus and grossness. Yeah. That's really nasty. In your eye. Oh, God. In my eye. And then I had to go put my eyeball in one of those eye washes (laughs) for 15 minutes. 15 minutes to get just fresh water in the eyeball. That's a long time. That's a long time. You're like, really? Do you have your phone on a timer or something? Yeah. Man. At least it gets (laughs) in your mouth. You just like vomit right away the second it got (laughs) in. What? Oh, God. Sorry, dude. I'm not trying to be insulting, but your body fluid just ejected into my mouth. Oh, it's so gross. I'm so sorry that happened to you. <laughs> Ew. Oh, man. But it's so, like, too bad you're not going to have a kid because if you had a boy baby, it'd probably pee in your eye, but that's still way less disgusting. Oh, I've already had one of my nephews pee in my oh, face. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Was and it after this incident? I don't remember. I have oh. so many nieces and nephews. <laughs> I've been peed on and pooped on multiple times. Okay. So. I'm all right with that. Probably way more than the average person because you're also a nurse Probably. and a niece and an aunt. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. An aunt to many and a great aunt. And you have a thousand Not just a siblings. super one. Yeah. A great one. I'm I have a- nieces and nephews that have children. How many great aunt? Sorry, you. Hmm? <laughs> like how many? Oh, I have two great nephews. Oh, I have one great nephew and I'm about to have a great niece. Really? Yeah. I didn't know you were a great aunt. Yeah. I'm an aunt to five, six. But you're too young and beautiful. Oh, That's actually, what I said to myself. When I was buying this wine, the girl at the grocery store was like, can I see your ID? I was like, yeah. And she goes, I am so sorry. You're going to be carded forever, aren't you? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> she was like almost 30 and you look like nothing. I was like, trust me, I'm always the babysitter. Well, I am. But like, you know, I'll probably always be the babysitter. I'm going to be like, they're like the medical assistant. I'm like, I'm your fucking nurse. I'm your little sister. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then I put on my like leather backpack after I left. And I was like, yeah, the backpack probably doesn't help. But it's convenient. <laughs> 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 I wore like a sweatshirt and a backpack. And like look 12. Anyway, drink like Straight out of the movie Clueless. Right. Yeah. I didn't know. <laughs> okay, so... The chest tubes that go to another container, like an atrium, that's the brand name of a certain type of container. There's other ones, Pluravax. I can't remember what their names are. I think Pluravac is one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, no, anyway, those are the ones where you have to have a water seal and check for air leakage. And those are the ones that I was intimidated to get back into. So... I did some research today, and I feel like it makes more sense to me now, so I'm going to try and explain Please it explain. to people. Please explain. I'm so confused. Okay. So basically, the lung has a film around it or like a membrane around it. Are these always for the lungs, those types of drains? Um, chest tubes are. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's not in the trachea? <laughs> Chest tubes often go in the abdomen. No. <laughs> so, oh my God. We should edit that out. I no, feel so leave it dumb. In. Leave it in. Why no, it's I a fine that? question. It's fine. I know. Because JP drains, drains could go in the chest yeah. or in somewhere else. I was just thinking of drains and you can drain anything. Yeah. But a chest tube, I was like, wasn't even These thinking. These ones specifically, I'm pretty okay. sure are mostly only used for the chest because you're trying to 
basically <laughs> one, remove from the chest cavity either air or fluid or blood right. of some sort. Okay. Fluid yes. of some sort, not blood of some sort. Your blood. Um, <laughs> and how, then how'd Sarah's blood get in there? I don't know. <laughs> you're removing somebody's blood from your chest. And then you're trying to keep it from filling back up with anything else, like air, you don't want the reverse to happen. You don't want air to get in that tube and go back in the chest because that could be really bad. Mm-hmm. And then you're trying to kind of like get back to the the low, the negative pressure situation that your lungs need. So, right. okay, so your lungs are coated with this membrane called the visceral pleura and then that's just a, basically a layer of tissue or skin that goes around your lungs and closes it like a balloon. Mm-hmm. And then on your chest wall, there on the inside of that, there's another pleura, and that's the parietal pleura, I think mm-hmm. is what it's called. And then they basically adhere together with a little bit of fluid in between them. Mm-hmm. And it's not very much fluid. On each lung, it's about 20 to 30 cc's of fluid. Yeah, which is nothing like for two a tablespoons. whole surface. Yeah. Yeah. So it's basically just creating a really thin layer to keep them stuck together. It's like when you put a, a, you know, a slip on top of a glass slide, if you're going to look under a microscope mm-hmm. and there's the fluid that makes them right. stick together. So then you can't just pick up the little slip off of the slide easily. You have to slide it off. Right. Right. So it keeps it from having friction. It holds them together. Um, because every time you breathe in and out, basically that whole area is expanding. So if you have friction going on that whole time, that would be painful and you probably start a fire in your chest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's inflammation. Just kidding. You won't start a no, fire. I mean, a fire but, of sorts. <laughs> but yes, like not. it would not be good. Um, okay, go ahead. So if somebody has um, a disruption to that layer, so if you have air in that layer because... Let's have say you've had an injury, you've gotten to some traumatic injury like a car accident or somebody kicked you in the chest really hard and your ribs punctured your lungs, then air could get into your chest and disrupt that layer. Or you could even get air in your chest without having any type of injury from the outside. So people have spontaneous pneumothorax. So pneumothorax means there's air in that space, the lung space mm-hmm. that's supposed to be nothing but... 25 cc's of fluid. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes people who are really tall and thin just have a spontaneous uh, remove, you know, separation of those two layers, which is super bizarre to me. Yeah, that'd be terrifying. Yeah. Eww. Actually, somebody that I used to take a fitness class from, she was one of my patients one, one time in the hospital. And I was like, what the heck could she be in here for? She was really tall and thin and had a spontaneous pneumothorax. Wow. Yeah. I was I like, those this are really is rare. so weird. She's like 20 something. Yeah. Um, so, and then you could also have a pneumothorax internally for some other reason. If there's, you know, damage to your lungs, if you have COPD, emphysema or something, and you can get these blebs or inside of your lungs, which are kind of like internal blisters. Mm -hmm. And if they pop and then that can create a space between the visceral pleura and the parietal pleura. So there's, there's different things that can make air in your lungs. Also, can't they do like, if they intubate you incorrectly or you do like some procedure going down your throat, they could puncture something or something like that can happen. Totally. You could could do a a G-tube wrong. I mean, probably not that, but like some sort of something going down your throat and they go into your lungs accidentally and poke them. I don't know. I've heard of like that could happen before and cause yeah, them. Yeah, if you're doing open heart surgery, they mm-hmm. try to stay within that cavity that your heart is in because that's separated from your lung space. But sometimes they have to go into the lung space on the left side just to get the lungs out of the way so they can get to the heart as much as they need. Or um, sometimes they might just accidentally disrupt that space. So mm-hmm. then you could have a pneumothorax. You could also, after a surgery, have a... a um, hemothorax, which is, you know, that space fills up with blood um, or other type of fluid that's more rare. So I'm not going to talk about it. Mm -hmm. But, um, and then you could also just have that space fill up with fluid for other reasons, like a um, a pleural effusion. You could have that, that just means there's stuff in the pleural space. So there's liquid in the space between that I've been talking about. Right, between Um, those two membranes. Yeah, and you can have that after a surgery. I think you can have that in 
heart failure. Oh, mm-hmm. I might be wrong about that. Somebody's probably cringing if I'm saying <laughs> that wrong. But anyway, basically you get lung in this, you get water in the lung space. Right. So the main idea, as I said, is to remove whatever's in there and keep anything else from going in and then get it back to the negative pressure. So you need negative pressure in that space so that the uh, the membrane around your lungs want to stick to the membrane around the inside of your chest wall. Which keeps your lungs open so you can breathe. Exactly. And it's at about negative four to negative eight millimeters of mercury pressure in mm-hmm. that space. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if you put a chest tube in there, it's a le- it's letting... So chest tubes have a one-way valve, so it lets things come out, but mm-hmm. it won't let anything back in. So it keeps the negative pressure. Exactly. Um, as long as it's connected to a water seal, that's the main thing, mm-hmm. which is the thing I learned about today the most, and it's the most important thing. So if you have something that's, you know, a chest tube that's draining your lungs and it's not connected to a water seal, it's basically just open to the outside world. So it will let things drain out, but it's never going to do anything to kind of promote that restoration of the negative. Mm-hmm. The dr- um, drainage, right? Like sucking because it's going into, it would be going into air, right? Not water. It, the drainage could what? come out, but it's not going to do anything to kind of pull the pressure. You know, it's not going to do anything to put negative pressure and kind of try to readhere the visceral pleura to the parietal pleura. Mm -hmm. That's what I said. Oh, okay. Negative pressure, right? It's creating the water. No. Yeah, the water is just holding it there. So it's like the water seal, it won't let anything- Go back to- Yeah. And and so it's it's whatever, whenever something leaves the space, then that's one- Right. however much less pressure, you yeah. know, was in there and right. it can't return because Because basically it goes down the tube into the water and bubbles up the top of the water, right? But it can't go back down in and back up in. Mm-hmm. Is that the point? It bubbles up if it's air. If it's not air, if it's just, you know, blood or fluid, then mm-hmm. it, you know, it just goes into the collection container and just stays there. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's there's a couple different ways you can set up suction and there used to be a way that people did it with three bottles and some hospitals still do that weirdly, that's a really old way of doing things. So I'm not even going to talk about it because I've personally never seen it and Mm -hmm. I've worked at probably Mm -hmm. 15 different hospitals because I was a travel nurse, you know? Mm -hmm. So um, now they have these collection containers that have a water seal chamber. So you just have to make sure there's water in it and you just need two centimeters or about an inch of water um, to maintain the water seal. So that's the chamber that you're looking for the air leak in. Okay, so an air mm-hmm. leak, what is that? That means that air is getting into the tube from somewhere above the cha- you know, above the collection chamber. Mm-hmm. Air is not supposed to be getting into the tube. It's supposed to be leaving it. Mm-hmm. Um, the tube's c- completely closed from your chest to the container, so why should there be air in the water mm-hmm. seal chamber? Mm-hmm. Well, if you have a pneumothorax, that would be why. Mm-hmm. So that would be normal to see a little bit of an air leak or some bubbles in the water seal chamber at first, but it should get less and less over time because that air is leaving right. and it's getting better. You're getting rid of it on purpose. So yeah. you know that that's going to be there. Exactly. If it gets worse over time, that could mean there's a leak in your system somewhere or even in the chest tube to the patient's body. Mm-hmm. So then you need to check and figure out where that is. So this is... Um, like, so, is it sealed properly or something like that? Would that be what you were... Right. So are all the connections sealed properly? And then is it is there a leak somewhere around the patient's body? So you take a clamp and you clamp off the chest tube right next to the patient's body. And if the air bubble resolves then you know it's an issue with the tube's entrance mm-hmm. to the patient. Right. If it doesn't, then you just take another clamp and you go, you know, maybe six inches below that. And if it resolves, you know it's between those two areas. Mm-hmm. If it doesn't, then it's somewhere closer to the collection chamber. Right. So you keep moving one clamp down from another about mm-hmm. six inches away until you figure out what space the air leak is in. Mm-hmm. And then you can try and tape it off. It, and that's not really always the best So solution, what if it was in the cavity? If it was in the chest cavity, then maybe they would need to reposition the chest tube or, you know, do something to seal it off, like mm-hmm. put a, um, a dressing, an occlusive dressing, like something that's covered in petroleum. Mm. What are those called? Right. The um, Anyway, a petroleum covered dressing uh-huh. so that nothing could... And so the no little tube, once it, so it goes into your body, they kind of sew it on a little bit so that it mm-hmm. doesn't 
slide out for with a, just a few stitches, mm-hmm. which they just then clip when they're ready to pull it out. And then there's the tube. So like how much of it goes inside of that plural space? It depends on what kind of tube and, you know, what mm-hmm. they're trying to drain. Mm-hmm. So if they're just trying to drain air, sometimes they put a really small tube in. Mm-hmm. Um, but if they're trying to drain blood, that can get clotted. So they need to put a larger tube in so that there's mm-hmm. not as much risk of it getting clotted. Right. And then people are going to ask, oh my God, a tube in my chest, that's so going to be painful. People are going to be so miserable. What do you do about that? Yes, you're right. It's so painful. Mm-hmm. It's really painful. People hate chest tubes. And mm-hmm. they say that removing a chest tube is one of the most painful things people ever experience ever. So Jeez. pre-medicate your patients before they have their chest tubes removed because... I mean, man, just think, think about it. Yeah, it has to go through the muscle between your ribs. Mm-hmm. And then it has to go, I mean, just into that space. And there's nerves everywhere. That space where there's not supposed to be anything. Right. And then every time you breathe, it's expanding that area and shrinking that area. And you have a tube in there. And it's just a foreign body. And it probably itches. And it hurts. And it's red. And well, it's like hopefully rubbing not, against but, something every time you inhale. Yeah. Ugh, that sounds terrible. I Man. had a patient the other night with a pneumothorax. And she so she had a really tiny chest tube. The air but one. It was, mm-hmm. Yeah. It was bothering her so much. It scared me. I thought she was having a heart attack at one point because mm-hmm. she had such bad chest pain. Um, but it was just because of the chest tube. Sometimes they can have referred pain, you know, meaning maybe the pain is actually at the chest tube site. That's where the irritation's coming from, but they feel it somewhere else in their mm-hmm. chest, like, you know, up in their shoulder or mm-hmm. down in, on the opposite side of their right. chest or something. And so. that's what people hear. I think most um, lay people, I don't know, will hear of referred pain. When people tell them about heart attack symptoms, well, you could feel it in your jaw and you can feel it in your arm. And like, well, it actually would be your heart that's actually causing that if you're actually having a true heart attack. But some people do feel referred pain mm-hmm. other places, right? Mm-hmm. So that's, I think a lot of people would hear someone talk about that medically and when they're talking about heart attack symptoms. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, but geez, man, let's hope no one... Not gonna what ever has to get a chest tube. That's, I mean, lots of people have to get chest tubes, and it's just man. It's I meant no be, one like here. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Hope not. Yeah. Um, the other thing I was, it, it was funny because one of the first patients I had with a chest tube, mm-hmm. the doctors were making their rounds that morning, and the surgeon was like, "I want this done today, and I want this done." You know, he really wanted strict care of this patient because he wanted to make sure he had a good outcome. He had mm-hmm. already gone into AFib the night before. I want you to give him his electrolytes within these two hours. No, you know, saying that the pharmacy didn't have the med available. He was just really kind of giving us a what's what, which uh-huh. is fine. That's fair. Yeah. But then he said, and strip the chest tubes. You know how to do that? And I was thinking, yeah. And I said, yeah, yeah, I know how to do that. But uh-huh. I also learned in nursing school, you're not supposed to strip test chest tubes. Did you really? learn that? Yeah. No, I don't remember anyone saying you're not supposed to. Why? Yeah, we we learned you weren't supposed to because it can create such a negative pressure. So like the uh, pressure in your pleural space is minus four to minus eight. Right. And then you're Stripping doing more the chest by tubes, doing that. Yeah, you can create up to like minus 200 millimeters of pressure mm-hmm. by stripping them. And so that can suck other things into the tube, like right. tissue. Too or, strong. Yeah. yeah. Explain what that is so that... Basically, but stripping the chest tube. So oh, like, so stripping the chest pull. tube, you would pinch the chest tube really close to the patient's body, as close to their body as you could. Obviously, pinch hold it, it off. first with your other hand. Yeah. Oh, is that what you're saying? Sorry. Yeah, exactly. So I, I would like take my left hand and hold on to the chest tube right next to the patient's body and just pinch it as hard as I could. And then I would take my right hand and pinch just below where my left fingers are pinched mm-hmm. and with an alcohol swab or something to lubricate the tube and pull down away. So you're like making the chest tube compress on itself, like mm-hmm. flatten out, and then it's going to pop back open. So that creates all of this negative pressure inside mm-hmm. the tube all of a sudden. That's a good idea if you think you have blood clots in there or something, but do it with caution because- right you also could suck up something in there you don't want to. Yeah. <laughs> if you think about it, it's like if you have a straw and you have like, or you you have like those, what are those like sugar straws when you're a kid? And you-, you Pixie sticks. Kind of like a pixie stick, but if it was like a straw material mm-hmm. and you want to get the stuff out, so you hold one end and then you slide all the sugar down to your mouth. But it is kind of hard. You have to like slide and then pinch and then slide and then pinch because it isn't a Ooh, pressure. Or go Yeah, or go-gurt. That is that type of thing where Mm -hmm. you're sliding it out. But then 
So you realize then the rest of the tube is flat. So let's say it had an opening at the other end. It would open up again and suck whatever is at the other side. I mm-hmm. don't know. So it's, it's hard to explain. But That's exactly it. Yeah. So it's a good way to clear out, to move things along if there mm-hmm. are some if there's Like some if there was a clot in, in the tube, I've seen that. Like mm-hmm. you're mo- trying to squeegee the clot through down through the tube into the chamber at the bottom. Mm-hmm. But then, yeah, you're creating all that pressure that could be dangerous. Yeah. Um, so did you do it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Doctor's orders. And he started just flowing. Yeah. So I don't think he actually had any blood clots. I think he, his chest tube started flowing because he got up and was moving around that mm-hmm. day. Mm-hmm. And that just kind of created some gravitational mm-hmm. flow. Wiggles stuff around. <laughs> yeah. Gets everything. We always want people to move. Whenever, as soon as you can, after anything, even when you're uncomfortable, move. Move your body. Your body's meant to do it. It helps everything heal. It circulates all your blood. Everything improves when you move, even though it's usually no one wants to do it. Because when you think about it, you're sick. The last thing you want to do is move. You want to curl up and do nothing. So these people that have had surgery and other things, they want to lie there because they're in pain. They don't feel good and they don't want to be bothered. Yeah, exactly. It's natural response, but... You really heal better the more you move, the deeper breaths you take, even it's painful. I mean, so mm-hmm. many things. Um, so we're not doing it to torture you. To be a pain, but it actually helps helps you recover faster so you can get home. And get really. out of the hospital where there's all these germs. Yeah. I had a patient today call, he's having a heart cast tomorrow. So they go in basically through your groin or your wrist, they thread this like tube wire up into your heart and measure pressure or put a stent or something, see blockages, different Take things. A camera. You can do. Yeah, a camera. And uh and then he called and said, So I'm having a heart cast tomorrow. Is it okay if I fly to like Reno the next day? Or Las Vegas or Santa or somewhere he was going. And I was like, um well I don't know. I've never actually had anyone ask if they could fly somewhere the day after having a heart cast. <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> anyway, it's just interesting. I mean, we just think about like getting up and moving and going somewhere afterwards. And some people are just like, oh, I'll be fine. It, you know, like it's a minor procedure, just in and yeah. out. I'm just going to get a heart cath and then I'm going to get a pedicure and yeah. then I'm going to Reno. No biggie. <laughs> I don't know. Get, hang on with my buddies. Oh, I don't know. It was interesting question. Anyway. So that's, I think that's all I have to say about heart cats right now. I like, uh, I just felt like I needed a review of them. I think that's really good. I've always felt really nervous about, um, did you say heart caths? You mean drains? No, nope. drains, chest tubes. Chest tubes. <laughs> We're all over the place. Uh, all I'm mixed up, don't know what to do. Honestly, so glad that you talked about that because I think they're fascinating. Also vents. I feel like ventilators and chest tubes are intimidating. Ventilators because they have all these buttons and also if you mess anything up, the patient's not breathing and it's scary. But um, chest tubes are also a little weird, but. It's not As, that complicated. Uh, my Medtronic instructor says, dead patient, bad. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's a smart man or she. She. <laughs> there you go. Um, so what's the word of the day? Do we have one today? Yeah, okay. Yeah. And you might be able to guess what it is, but I'm just going to say the, throw it out there. Okay. Candida vulvovaginitis. Oh, is that... A yeast infection yes. that makes your vagina itchy? It's just a yeast infection. Oh, that's the whole name of it? <laughs> I just never had heard the whole name of it. Candida what now? Vulvovaginitis. So that's, I thought vaginitis was something else. Maybe not. Vaginitis, vaginitis is, is like an irritated, sorry. inflamed vagine. Oh. Vagine, so, everyone knows, means vagina. Yes. Actually, since this podcast, people tell me they call it vagines now. Or no, they call it their... Pootie tanks. No. No? Um, um, what did you call in the beginning? Oh. Vag. No, something else. Anyway. Giners. Giner. Yeah. <gasps> they so call it giner. Names. There's people now that call it giner just because of this podcast. <laughs> you know what my pa- family used to call it when I was growing up? Hmm. Your flower pot. Why? Why? No clue. No clue. But that's what they called it. Oh my gosh. Well, Sarah, you have like five flower pots out front you need to collect. <laughs> but we're talking about <laughs> legit flower pots here, folks. Um, that's so, yeah. funny. The candida is the yeast. That's the yeast component of the 
that's just the fungus, the yeah. name of the fungus. Volvo, that's the outside part. So your labia. You mean vulva? Yeah, but it's vulvovaginitis. Oh, so, I was like Volvo? Volvo, that's the car that you drive that irritates the vagina. My entire- But it lasts forever. <laughs> <laughs> they do. And we every time growing up, I heard Volvo. I just thought of vulva. So I think it's amazing that this is called vulvovaginitis. <laughs> So that's it. The vulva is the outside. The vagina is the inside. The itis is the irritation, inflammation. All that stuff's getting inflamed and inflamed. Inflamed. Inflamed and irritated. Irritated from the candida. Candidated. Well, I screw you, funny. candida. You suck. Yeah, those do suck, mm-hmm. and they enjoy sugar. So if you got a yeast infection, women or men, um. I'm sorry, but it's way better than a UTI, so that's all I'm going to say. And a, avoid the sugar, you're saying? Yeah. And to put some yogurt, put, put a go-gurt in there? Okay, so I actually have a friend who put yogurt in her vagina because she had a yeast infection, and she was like, I know that bacteria, the good bacteria is good, so I'm going to actually take actual yogurt with like probiotics and shove it up there. And I think she said it actually helped. Though, how would you know what coming out is curdy vagina goop from the candida or like yogurt? Oh my God. (laughs) I don't know how you would know. I don't know. But Mm, I would take yeast infection any day over UTI. What about you? Totally. Oh yeah, well, UTI is the worst. Yeast infections like annoying. Like you want to scratch your vagina into the chest world and get the rid worst, of it. Then UTI, then yeast infection. Then yeast infection. <laughs> Having a baby is like six or seven. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. I was reading recently. People can take like four hertz of whatever pain, and like and during labor, it's like twenty, and it's crazy because all of our hormones would let us. I don't know. <laughs> I don't think that's what it is, but. Megahertz. Hertz. It hurts. (laughs) Catch us on Facebook Facebook. and Twitter and Instagram and email. At WhiningWNurses. Except for the email. It's www.nurses at gmail.com. And rate, review, subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Because it helps other people find our podcasts. Share. Share with friends. Love you guys. Thanks. Cheers. Cheers. Whining with nurses.